You're listening to the Mosaic Podcast, brought to you by Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. Each episode of this podcast will offer you excerpts from the Mosaic TV news magazine, which airs Sunday from January to April in the Palm Beaches. Mosaic explores the most pressing issues facing the Jewish community here at home and around the world. And now, here's your host, Susan Shulman Pertnoy. She's been named one of the most inspiring Jewish leaders in the world. Her organization was pivotal in giving aid to Israelis affected by the latest Gaza conflict. She's the CEO of the Jewish Agency for Israel, Amira Aronovitz. Welcome back to Mosaic, Amira, and you're in person to boot. So I'm so happy to be here and so happy to be here in person, both in Palm Beach and meeting with you and being in this lovely show. Well, thank you. We're, we're thrilled to have you. As you know, because I saw you there, I had the privilege of being in Israel a day or two after the ceasefire. And I was witness to the remarkable intervention and aid that your organization was able to give to the victims of, of the war. It was so inspiring. How were you able to mobilize so quickly? So I'll say the following, you know, as, um, as the Jewish Agency for Israel, uh, we have populations which we care for 24-7. Mostly thousands of newcomers, new olim to Israel, which we have helped migrate and make Israel their home. And so in their first initial period of absorption, they reside within our facilities. And in those cases, we are responsible to make sure they're protected, whether it's from rockets or whether it's from COVID or whether it's from any other needs that they may have. Along with other populations, such as elderly, we have a huge um, network of old age homes, which reside thousands of elderly, mostly Holocaust survivors in our Amigur old age homes. And so, as well as for them, we have to make sure that they are protected added with youth and families at risk that we serve. So those populations in such crises become an immediate responsibility of ours and our teams are out there 24 seven to make sure that they make it on time to the shelter, that if they need any assistance with regard to children or elderly with coping with the post-trauma and the frightening situation. And I can say that the last round was um, definitely one which is uh, most extreme and escalated one that we have seen, both in the number of rockets and in the pace by which they were thrown, and also by the, um, the spread of it. We had 40% of the population of Israel actually under fire, and it was very tense 11 days. Um, and I'll say that um, when we think about uh, the aftermath of that, that doesn't end in the ceasefire. In many cases, the work only begins then, um, providing psychological service, post-trauma service to many of those families, some of which have been very, very short period in Israel, so not yet having the language, not yet acclimated, not necessarily understanding what is this war about. Yes. And I really rely on our teams to be there, you know, hand-holding and, and give them the, the, the basic secure feeling that they really need in these times. Yes, we were at an absorption center, which is where you house a new olim or immigrants. Uh, and it was so interesting because we interviewed, or you interviewed, an Ethiopian who had recently arrived. 
and tell about the experience that he had. I mean, it took him, it was a difficult journey to get there and he was, it was, he was living under oppressive conditions in Ethiopia. But then he arrived at the absorption center and he had bomb attacks. T tell, tell the story. So I'll say the following, you know, as, as, as the largest um, organization in the Jewish world, we're part of our responsibility. A legacy role of ours is really to help any Jew who wants to make Israel their home, make Aliyah. But also, God forbid, if there's need to rescue and to bring people from distressed countries, that's our role. And so Ethiopia is a major front of ours in that sense. And currently there are still about 10,000 remaining Jews in Gondar and Addis in Ethiopia. And they reside in very difficult conditions, uh, not only because COVID, even prior to COVID. Uh, they've been waiting for more than 10 years to be reunited with their families. So left their villages and their agricultural traditional nature of life, but not necessarily permanently acclimating in the urban area because they were waiting for their aliyah, along with some um, security instability that is taking place there by uh, rebellions um, in Ethiopia. And so we were very um, um, determined that, you know, we need to bring them as quickly as possible. And, and we're working based on government decisions um, in Ethiopia. And once our government made a decision in 2021 to enable us to bring 2,000 of them, it was clear to us that we're bringing them no matter what, even all the difficulties of COVID and travel limitations, etc. None of us has imagined that less than two months after we'll bring them and help them to start embarking on, you know, acclimation in Israel, we will be under those terror attacks. And so one can only imagine their confusion um, in terms of, you know, some of them ask us, can you give us guns? We'll go out and fight. You know, who is it that we have to fight? And so give them the context of the situation is one thing, but also give them the sense of, uh, of secureness that we're there for them. And if they had to stay in shelters, we'll help to provide food. If they're not able to go out to work, we'll help to get them some stipend or other income. If any of their kids have some kind of, of trauma coping with the situation, we'll be there to help. So this is a very critical role of ours. And I will say that um, what we're really making sure is that when um, they start their new stage in life in Israel, they're provided with all the tools like any other citizen to be able to cope with reality, even if it includes uh, these kind of crises. Um, last thing I want to mention in that sense, and I think it's important because, you know, we all work together as Klal Israel with Jewish communities around the world. Palm Beach is, is an outstanding example of a partner of ours to make sure that in these um, crises, we're out there providing support to anyone who's been wounded or severely affected. And for many years, we've been operating a victim of terror funds that what it does is it looks broadly at the population that has been affected, not necessarily only our beneficiaries. And any family which their house has been hit or affected, or God forbid someone was wounded or killed within the family, we are coming out there less than 24 hours since the event happened and provide a check of some immediate cash grant. Yes, I, I saw that happen. And I think one cannot even start to imagine how meaningful that is and how the families are so moved to get that kind of an assistance so quickly on behalf of the Jewish people. They receive us with tears and with full emotional um, reflection Gratitude. of gratitude. gratitude of that. And unfortunately, in the last uh, round of crisis around the Gaza border, we've provided more than 350 checks to families who needed that kind of an immediate grant. And you also are dealing with a tremendous amount of psychological af af uh, aftermath, and you're providing help for families on so many different levels in so many different cities and, and areas. It's amazing, even though you specifically weren't bombed, it's still traumatic to have been through hearing the sirens for little children, for Olim. 
Exactly. So we are working with the municipalities and the families who have been affected. And what we make sure is that we complement efforts of the government and of other um, social resilience centers so that we're able to effectively complement and leverage some of the things that they are doing. And mostly we're looking to see where is it that we have longer term activities that could help them kind of cope and go back um, to reality as well as use some of our infrastructures that works with those uh, populations at risk on the ongoing basis and see where is it that we can use those to early on detect um, cases that need some assistance and, and special psychologically uh, um, support and then address them to the expert people. But to be out there knowing those families and working with them on the routine days enables us to be with them also in those uh, very vulnerable situations. On that note, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this brief message. Mosaic is brought to you through the dedication of generous corporate sponsors who fueled the work of Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. We thank American Commercial Realty, Appleby Utifriend Wealth Management, Raymond Motorcars, Bruce Gendelman Insurance Services, Commodore, Singer, Baseman, and Braun Attorneys, First Republic Bank, Rogers Design Group, and Shapiro Pertnoy Companies. We're back with Amira Aronovich talking about the aftermath of the Gaza conflict. Amira, what's the attitude and the feeling of Israelis now moving forward? How are they faring? So I think, you know, um, unfortunately, this was not the first round, probably not the last round. Um, I do think, as I said before, that this round was uh, somewhat different um, in its pace and in its intensity. And so I think it was kind of a wake-up call for um, some of our both government um, and municipality um, authorities. And so I think there's much work being done to kind of prepare us with, you know, God forbid there is a next round. I can tell you we are very much busy with identifying areas that we need to upgrade and reconstruct some of our shielding and sheltering so that we're sure that we're providing a good enough protection to our populations as well as working with the broader families and local communities in sustaining their social resilience so that they're you know, able to be better prepared for um, next rounds. But I think also the Israeli population is one that is, you know, uh, has been, yeah, has been uh, uh, able to adopt all along the years. And so it's, it's sometimes shocking to see how quickly um, you turn from one situation to another. So uh, you can find yourself, you know, driving in the beautiful area of the Western Negev in the blooming, you know, spring, and just thinking that 24 hours before that you were not able to drive there because you would have faced, you know, rockets and sirens and how quickly, you know, the quiet and the routine days um, come back. Um, but, but we need to not be mistaken by that. And we do have a role to make sure that all of our communities are provided both with the assistance to the ones who have been uh, severely affected, but as well as provided with the tools and the networks and the, I would say, the ability to be better prepared uh, for the next rounds. Um, I think what also happened since then is, you know, uh, we have a new government. Uh, so right. after two years of a political crisis in Israel where we had four rounds of election and, and you know, being apolitical uh, clearly, but just by the notion of having a government which is um, uh, serving as well as the budget that was passed uh, the first time in three years. So I think the population in Israel suddenly sees some optimism in, progress, terms of, yes. in, in terms of an ability to kind of address local daily routine decision areas that we were not being you know, able to take care of because we did not have a government and a budget. So suddenly there is some 
um, optimism uh, from that. And, and you know, these days it's Hanukkah. It's always, you know, uh, it's always those, uh, the Jewish calendar and the holidays that provide us with those uh, family ability to reconnect. And, and hopefully now, um, um, even though uh, COVID is, uh, you know, coming back and forth in various ways, we're still um, somehow able to come back to mostly in-person life as well as gathering and, and remembering the light that we all bring when we come together and the strength that it gives us. And, you know, we, we must be optimistic. We have no other way. We can't afford not to. That's right. And speaking of connectivity, that is a very important component of the Jewish Agency. Tell us what the Jewish Agency is doing in regard to connectivity. So I say you're touching upon, I think, maybe the most sensitive and critical issue, I think, of the time today of the Jewish people, uh, which I believe is a, is a huge concern in the sense that uh, we understand that the way by which the Jewish people, the landscape of the Jewish people and the way it's been evolved um, uh, sends us to uh, work much more uh, intensively and with um, a critical essence about the connectivity. Uh, you know, we make a lot of noise in the world, but we're only 15 million people, less than we ever uh, been also um, prior to the Shoah. And the landscape is such that about 13 million out of those reside in two major centers in North America and in Israel, and only about two or two and a half million are spread in the rest of the world. And so the notion of the relationship and the connection whereby in the first decades of the country was really a one-sided one. There was this place, Israel, which we all wanted to form and strengthen and had the need. And then there was the Jews outside of Israel, and again, majority of them in North America, who had this one direction connection of supporting Israel. But what we have seen, I think, along uh, the last couple of decades, definitely the last two decades, is that the need to make sure that we stay connected, that we stay familiar and knowledgeable about one another, that we develop appreciation and care for one another, are critical in order to make sure that we have a thriving future together. Absolutely. So that we don't only share a past, but also a future. And what I think has been very clearly um, out there is that that job is not as easy as it was. And so we're older generations, we're more easily and automatically connected. I think the younger generation is much more challenging in that sense. And we see data about this coming from research, both here in North yes. America from the Pew Research and others, as well as in other countries. And I think what clearly um, is, is, is a task here is to start so early on to try to nurture and develop the relationship and it, it has to be a two-way relationship. So it's not only how do we educate the young North Americans about Israel and Jewish life, but no less how do we educate Israelis and young Israelis about Jewish life outside of Israel and how we develop this sense of belonging to a broader Jewish community. And what we believe clearly is that A, it has to start very early on. Um, already at their early uh, childhood years, whether during their schools, during their after-school programs in JCCs, during the summer camps, in every educational setting that uh, those young people are attending, we have to uh, start incrementally bring and build that exposure to Israel and to the role Israel plays in their Jewish life and Jewish identity, as well as the role that the Jewish people plays within the life of Israelis. But not only that, make sure that we're doing that in a way that both bring Israel into communities and bring young Jews to Israel. So the Jewish agency is focused actually in those two things at the same time. And what we're doing, we are helping communities um, in their efforts to engage the younger generation by sending out young Israelis, Israeli emissaries, we call them shlichim, at various stages to serve, to live within communities and to serve within their institutions. 
So at any given moment every year, we send 2,000 Israelis to come and serve on campuses, in summer camps, in schools, in synagogues, and JCCs, and really become Israeli storytellers, become the ones who bring the beauty and the diversity of the Israeli society by the nature of who they are. And the fact that they live and reside within those communities and serve in those institutions create an opportunity for a very direct, informal connection with them. And so we are working with communities, like with Palm Beach and others, yes, to make sure we bring more and more of those to be residing with your community in different educational settings. The other thing we're doing is we're making sure we're bringing as much as we can young Jews to experience Israel. And again, start early on, not wait for the college years, start even earlier during their bar and bar mitzvah period, then during high school to teen travel, going on to birthright in their college age, as well as Massah, which is a major endeavor of ours. We support, them, we're big supporters at this federation To bring federation them for a semester Masa. to a year experience in Israel. What we have seen in all the research along the years is that those are the two most effective tools, that when one comes and spends time in Israel, and being open to meet the Israeli peers and kind of open to explore their own journey, they come back after that to their communities and they're infused with the energy and the motivation to be much more active in their communities and Israel becomes a more relevant part of their Jewish journey. And so starting very early on working in communities and then bringing them to Israel and then making sure when they come back they continue to be active is kind of an ongoing, never-ending task that we have to embark on together. The federations across the United States are dealing with the serious problem of anti-Semitism and security. What type of programs does the agency have uh, to, to cope with this? So you're right, that's a very concerning uh, trend that we're all seeing all across the world, including in the United States. Um, rising anti-Semitism coming from a combination of extreme right and extreme left in the sense of anti-Israel sentiments as well as extreme uh, Muslim attacks. And I should say that the Jewish Agency as a global organization, our role in this current space is really to help address the needs of safety and protection of the smaller communities around the world which don't necessarily have the local means or wealth or influence uh, to be addressing that alone or not having their government step in in a good enough way. And so I'll say that in 2012, when the horrible murder in Toulouse, France took place in the school, what was so shocking was not only the consequences of uh, students and staff being murdered, but the easy way by which the terror attacker just walked into the school, where those community organizations did not have any protection. And so we have built a special security fund back then in 2012 to try and help community organizations in those smaller communities or bigger communities that need the help to get two things, both advice from formal expert security authorities that we're working with in Israel to be able to understand how can they cope and what is it that they need to do, as well as provide them with the resources of the security means. I think what we did not imagine back then is how big the demand would be and how growing we would need to have this effort uh, be. And so since then, we've provided more than $17 million of physical security means to hundreds of community institutions in dozens of communities, from smaller ones in Europe, in Latin America, South Africa, former Soviet Union, etc. And this is really, in the most tangible way, saving lives. And we've seen events along those years whereby the fact that we have provided bulletproof doors or windows or closed camera systems to synagogues or JCCs and schools, this really stopped from attackers being able um, to have severe consequences in their attacks. 
And what we also seen is that um, combining this with the COVID and the very fragile situation in many of those communities, so the need to be able to make sure that the Jewish population is not afraid of coming and attending those institutions yes. and maintaining Jewish life is really dependent on this kind of an assistance. So work in combating anti-Semitism focuses on one hand on that in those communities outside of North America, as well as educational work that we do mostly in high schools and in campuses trying to provide through our shlichim and through material that we send provide the tools to be able to better tell a narrative, better be able to be out there as proud Jews, identifying as Jews and being willing, you know, to um, um, continue to fight on that narrative. Which goes back to the connectivity the between the Israelis, the Shlichim and the, right. the Shinshanim, right. which is a new program. Right. But I think the notion of a collective table, which is what we are, the support of communities like yours to us enable us to be out there and provide this sense of um, safety and security to all of those smaller communities to say you are not alone and to the extent that you will need us to help us protect in order to maintain your local Jewish life, we will be there for you. The Jewish Agency created something called the J Fund to help uh, people around the world during COVID. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so I think uh, what we uh, have seen early on with the outbreak of COVID, and actually it started with some conversations with Italy who got you know, the most severe hit very early on, um, is that the um, community organizations in any community, be it a school or a synagogue or the family service or even services of burial in a community, uh, were suddenly in a situation where they didn't have any ability to collect income or take any fees for their members, but on the other hand, their needs were much greater than before. Suddenly more populations, you know, um, needed their services. And so they were in the situation where they clearly didn't have the immediate resources to address those needs. And again, seeing ourselves as Klal Israel, as a responsibility to be out there, we understood that if we provide them with some immediate cash flow that enables them to somehow bridge the next year until things become better, until they're better prepared to tap on their government assistance and others, by s serving those community organizations, we really save the ability of the community to address its most vulnerable. And so from, um, I would say overnight, our leadership was brave enough to create this um, global loan fund where we've provided $10 million of credit lines and cash flow, interest-free loans to dozens of community organizations all across the world. And I can tell you clearly what we have heard from them back is that you have been with us in the most critical moment and early on so that you bought us time to be able to kind of recalculate our route and then get back on some pace. And sometimes, you know, that kind of an assistance is clearly, you know, the, the, the line between an ability to survive and, and, and collapsing. And so we were very proud to do that. And, and hopefully we will, you know, not need to record that in, in future years. But if we do, we know today how critical that role yes, is. Yes, what a great catalyst to get people back on track. It really was a brilliant idea. And, and it was really well executed, obviously. In closing, what would you like to say to the Jewish federations in the United States? So I think, you know, I, I look at the current era and think to myself, this is, I think, like Charles Dickens said, best of times, worst of times at the same time. Um, to some extent, you know, we live in the most flourishing, I think, Jewish era as ever. Majority of Jews live freely. The amazing, um, diverse, um, vital Jewish life that you have uh, been developing here in North America is, is a true inspiring example for Jewish life all across. 
and you know being able to both be uh, uh, affiliated uh, Jew living meaningful life as well as integrated in your local communities and be influencing the world along with Israel a sovereign state for the Jewish people which is um, you know has done magic very strong and contributes to humanity in a wider uh, uh, way but at the same time, we're facing some of the biggest concerns, I think, ever, both from within and from without, so external factors like anti-Semitism, which is rising, but as well as, I think, polarization and, and some tension and discourse from within. And so for me, I think this notion of understanding that those two major centers of the Jewish world, North America and Israel, carry upon their shoulders um, the ability to secure a future for us which relies on this notion of connectivity. And my message is that this is a proactive work that is required to be done constantly, endlessly, and together. We will not be able to have this kind of a secured future if we would not be joining forces together to make sure our younger generations, 20 years from now, from Tel Aviv and from Palm Beach would still continue to feel part of the same family and that they carry together the responsibility for one another. And we cannot assume that would happen automatically and we should all be fully committed and dedicated in so many ways and so early on to make that happen. That's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. What a pleasure, Susan. <laughs> and hopefully the third time would be in Israel. Oh, I would love that. I know the, uh, the crew would love it, too. So Mosaic <laughs> would have to have its next session in Israel okay. at some point. That's a deal. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mosaic Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to Mosaic on your favorite streaming platform and to leave us a review. Want more? Visit jewishpb.org slash mosaic, where you can access full episodes of the show. To stay connected with the Jewish community of the Palm Beaches, visit jewishpb.org or follow Jewish Federation at facebook.com slash jewishpalmbeach.